Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, there are a lot of fears that we deal with, and uh, as we're, we've been going through a series in First Peter, it in particular looks at and talks about fears in terms of, of how we live out our faith. Um, you know, in, in this day and age, if you tell someone that you have trusted your life to Jesus Christ, there's some people around you that think you're, you're crazy. Or they may think, oh, you're one of those. Or the worst, they say nothing. <laughs> Just just crickets. You know, I think that sometimes feels the worst. People often criticize what they don't understand or what they're afraid of. And it's, it's always been that way with followers of Jesus Christ from the time of Jesus on. And yet Christ and, and many of his followers down through the years have chosen to endure that and in fact endure suffering rather than compromise their values and beliefs because they love God. They trust God. Not long after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were arrested by the religious authorities for teaching and preaching about Jesus. And they, they took them in and they questioned them and they said, don't ever talk about him again. Never, never mention his name in public again. And then it says they flogged them. They whipped them. And so you can imagine that these guys might be walking out of there feeling pretty cowed down. But in, instead... Here's what happened according to Acts chapter 5. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, if that doesn't get you thinking, here's somebody who is glad that they suffered for believing Jesus, that they suffered consequences of that, and they were glad about it. They rejoiced, which is a pretty strong word. And one of those was the apostle Peter. And and over the next 30 years or so, he, he would suffer again and again in honor of Jesus. And so when he wrote his first letter to churches in what is now northern Turkey, he knew that they also needed to be prepared to suffer for their faith. It, it wasn't a question of if, but when. And, and here in America today, we certainly do not suffer to the degree that those first Christ followers did. And, and honestly, we don't suffer the way some Christians around the world right now today are experiencing that. But we still face challenges to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. And so as one who rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus. Peter know, knows what he's talking about. He, he knows what he's saying when he, when he writes these folks uh, in this letter. And we need to, to listen to him today as he continues to help us understand how we can walk the talk when we face fear in, in doing what's right and following him and trusting him. Because the consequence of that is there is some suffering involved. So, uh, in, your, in your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 3.13. If you have a mobile device, you can pull out the YouVersion Bible app 
and go to the live page. If you have neither of those with you, in your bulletin is an insert, sermon notes, and on it are a lot of the scriptures and some places to write notes and fill in some blanks as we look through this. If you're with us last week, we saw that Peter encouraged us to to live faithfully, even as we face challenges in a lot of areas of our lives. He, he, he told us and encouraged us that two wrongs don't make a right. That when someone does something to you, when, when you are beset with evil, the, the natural tendency that a lot of we have is to respond to evil with evil, to get even, to get back, to hurt them, to respond, to not let them get away with it. And he told us that that is not his way. That's not the way of Christ. That we're not to respond to evil with evil, but to evil with good, even though that's hard and, in fact, may not feel in the short term as satisfying. Yet our faithfulness in the face of pressure, in the face of evil, is a powerful witness. And so Peter writes, beginning in verse 13, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, clearly this is a rhetorical question that Peter's asking here. But he wants them to reflect on it. From the eternal perspective that he has been looking at all through so far in this book, the answer, the big picture answer, is that really no one can harm us. Betsy talked about who can separate us from the love of God, quoting from Romans chapter 8. And and that's true. The promise of Scripture is that there is nothing and no one that can take your faith or my faith away from us. We can surrender it. We can diminish it. We can make it inept or, or... useless, but no one, no one can take it from you. And from the eternal perspective, that means that even as we live for that, they can't, nothing can detract from our salvation, our inheritance that Peter had told us earlier in this series, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. But there's also a lot of power in doing good. So that when someone comes comes down on you for doing good, it it often reflects poorly on them. Have you ever been in that situation where you see somebody, your your boss or a coworker really coming down on somebody and you know they're wrong? And and it's not like you're thinking, oh boy, they're 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 in the right. You realize that there's something wrong here. It's not, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't look good for them. And Peter knows that that happens. And and still happens. So he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then he quotes from Isaiah, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, listen, because this is this may this may fly against the grain for some of us. Peter tells his readers that there are blessings. For suffering for doing what's right. That there are blessings. We think of blessings, wonderful thing, thank you, count your blessings. We, we're coming up on Thanksgiving next month and we, we are grateful for those things. And Peter says that there are blessings for suffering when we do what's right. Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in what are called the Beatitudes, said, and I'm going to read from the message version, he says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you 
to discredit you. Now, that sounds like fun, isn't it? That's what we all love. We love people to tell lies about us, discredit us, put us down. But he says, count yourselves blessed. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. Now, just in the frame that Peter has been talking about, imagine who is it at the end of your days that you want to be glad about your behaviors and your actions? Some people around you who may or may not care about Christ or Jesus Christ who died for you and who will be your ultimate judge. How do we go forward? Well, Peter gives us two quick things. He says in verse 15, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. And we use that word Lord almost in the church world. We use it kind of quickly. We talk about Jesus' Savior and Lord. Sometimes we say Master or, or whatever. But, but most of us didn't grow up in England, and, and the idea of a Lord doesn't, doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But, but what he's saying here is that we make Jesus the Lord and Master of our lives in doing that, what that means is we're committed to obeying him and what his word teaches so that we are always standing in his right. And this is, a, this is a real change of mindset. A lot of people want to claim that Jesus is their, their savior. But when it comes around to the Lord, we may use the word, but we may not really mean the word. Because if, the, if Jesus is our Lord, it means that what he says is what we do. It means that if he calls us to live a certain way that goes against modern thinking that goes against what our friends are doing, then if he is my Lord, I obey him instead of the ways of the world around us. And that is huge because he is telling us if we're going to overcome these fears, if we're going to deal with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there is this commitment to obey, of recognizing that when I committed my life to Jesus, I accept him not only as Savior, but also as Lord. And so to come to him someday, face him face to face, and to say, well, Jesus, I appreciate you saving me, but he's going to say, but yes, but what did you do with that salvation? Well, I talked about it. I mean, does that sound like a very good answer to you? He is calling us into obedience He's calling us to obey when, when challenges in our lifestyles don't match up with what Christ is calling us to. He, he's calling us to obey when, in fact, it, it may put us on the outs with someone we care about or on the outs with our boss or with a coworker, on the outs with, with some school friends. That's not easy. That's not fun. My decision is is taking a stand that God's way, when I say he's Lord, that God's way is always right. Always. Even when it doesn't feel that way, even when it makes others want to make fun of me. Now, now listen, because that, that is perhaps one of the biggest challenges of followers of Jesus today, is we say, yes, Lord, but not really. We say, I believe you, but I don't really trust you. Now, 
If that doesn't bug you, if that doesn't, if you don't see that there's a there's something not fitting there, you're missing the point. If he's the boss, my response is not, but or well, maybe it's yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, not just yeah. It's yes, sir. It's with respect, it's with intentionality, it's a mindset a decision of the will, a stand of our heart that we have to already have made before we're in situations so that we're not rationalizing in the moment, that we have already made the decision to trust God and therefore to live for him, to live the way he has called me to live and to realize that some of those choices will go against the grain that will not be the way people around me choose and in fact some of them will have something to say about it or some of them will be eerily quiet. There will be people who don't understand. So Peter tells us the second thing we need to do to be prepared. He says then, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, Peter says we need to be ready to explain the hope we have in Jesus. We need to be, when someone doesn't get what we're doing, when somebody says, you're crazy, what is all this Jesus stuff? Why are you bothering them with that? That doesn't look fun. Nobody is doing it that way. And I suspect most of us have heard some variation of that, probably just in the last week, in some setting or another, if we are seeking to be faithful to Christ. We need to know the good news and and why it's good news. And, and I suggest that we should also be prepared to simply tell our story of how that, that has come to pass to help people realize why we came to see it as good news in my life. Because here's the thing, no one can argue with your story. They can argue with somebody else what they say or what they teach, they can argue with me. But when you come around and you say, here's my story, here is how I have discovered Jesus Christ in my life and the difference he has made, then there is a power in there that nobody can, they may not like it, but they can't defeat it. And and perhaps one of the best ways to do is to actually even write it out, to take the discipline of taking some time to get some clarity. Sometimes we think the story's only about this long, but we start writing, and God starts revealing all these other places and all these other ways that he's spoken into our lives, and the story becomes much more rich and, and much more involved. So it's a great tool, and yet Peter says that when we do that, when we're in a position to talk with someone else, that we always explain this good news with gentleness and respect, because arrogance always is a turnoff. Nobody likes arrogance. You can be right theologically and wrong biblically. You can know all this stuff, but if you don't, if you say it with, with disdain, if you look down on someone, if, if, if you are abusive in the way you say it or, or, or try to make yourself look like something amazing, you are again going against the whole point of Scripture. Even if you're right, we don't give them room to take more shots. We love our neighbor with kindness and respect. And a lot of times, responding in that way with kindness 
can lead others to accuse or attack, uh, who's accusing us or attacking us, feel bad. Because who wants to be seen as a bully when we're responding in love? But if they don't, Peter says it's still the right thing to do. It's what God wants us to do. He says it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter wants us to understand that this is what happened to Jesus. And, and, and Christians are little Christs. We are following him. He is our Lord, that we walk in his steps. He suffered for us, doing infinite good. And he was vindicated by God as his resurrection proved. And so we follow in his same steps. Then in, in, in verses 18 to 22, Peter takes kind of a little detour. He wants to reinforce this point. And, and yet, unfortunately for us, uh, this, this section of these next few verses has some references that Bible students down through the centuries kind of scratch their head about exactly what is he trying to say. Because we don't know exactly what Peter is referring to when he talks about Christ preaching to spirits in prison. Here's what it says. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God had waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's several lines of thought uh, among uh, people down through the centuries as, as to exactly whom Christ is preaching to, including fallen angels, deceased humans, and even metaphorical languages. Uh, this, this week I was talking to a member of our church, David Mayhew, who is... Uh, one of the ones leading a Bible study on Wednesday night that is also looking at this, this uh, First Peter. And, and he said in doing some of his research, he had found something like 15 or 18 different perspectives on that down through the centuries. But, it, but it's clear that, that there are some big points in there, even if we don't get all the nuts and bolts. Some have also questioned what Peter means when he says that baptism saves you, like the actual act of baptism going being baptized is itself the saving work and yet it's clear from other things peter's written and preached they were not saved by any work including going underwater but by grace through faith and so this baptism points to an earlier decision of faith to accept jesus who took our punishment for our sins upon himself symbolically washing our sins away where we come out of this is, is affirming that through God's grace and our response in faith, we join in salvation, the salvation that Jesus won for us on the cross. His resurrection is the proof. It's the vindication. It's, look, he did what he said he was going to do but, and, 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 and defeated the evil powers who were trying to keep him in the grave. He won, but what's more, his victory is also our victory because he says, if you follow me, you will do these things and even greater. We are in the same boat that he is if we have placed our faith in him. No matter what seems to be happening in the world around us, we can be confident that we too, at the last day, will rise victorious, which gives us hope and strength today. No matter what's going on, no matter what somebody's saying about us, no matter how they view some of our choices that are seeking to be faithful to Jesus Christ. 
And so with that, Peter kind of picks up from where he was in verse 17 to jump to chapter, moving into chapter 4, some insights to those who then do suffer for their faith. He says in verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Now, before we get too hung up on, on suffering, Peter wants us to remember it shouldn't be a surprise. If we are faithfully following Jesus, Jesus suffered. And we are walking in his footsteps. That's what a disciple is. It's one who follows their master, their leader, to walk in their steps. And so, therefore, because Christ suffered, we are his followers, Peter wants to arm our minds to think differently about suffering. Now, this is, this is going to, some of you, you're going to think I'm crazy. Some of you are going to think, what? This doesn't make any sense. But here, what the Bible says, that suffering for the cause of Christ can actually be a good thing for the follower of Christ. Suffering for the cause of Christ. And instead of immediately dismissing it or thinking suffering is always something bad, listen to what's going on here. He goes on. Because he who has suffered in the, his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Peter seems to be saying that our suffering for the cause of Christ, in fact, has a sort of purifying effect on us, giving sin less and less power over us, strengthening our desire to live and do God's will. And, and I'll tell you, it may sound strange. You may think, wait a minute, this isn't what I understood Christianity was about. But Peter says there is something noble and powerful in suffering for the right cause, in suffering for Christ. In fact, suffering may actually confirm that you are doing the right thing, that you are following Jesus Christ, and it can reinforce then the Christ follower's willingness to put the old life behind them. He says, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans, non-believers choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. These Christians that Peter is writing to, he says they've begun to put some of these old things behind them, which, which is part of the power of a life submitted to Christ. The Holy Spirit begins to actually change our desires. There were certain things in my life that I thought were normal, that I liked to do before I committed my life to Christ. And it wasn't that all of a sudden I have to stop doing this and, and, and I hate it. It's over time what I discovered is he began to change my heart to things I didn't want to do. I had no desire for them. They didn't have the same pull on me that they once did. I've heard many of you say the same stories. There were things that you used to do before Christ was the center of your life that, that were just a normal part of your life. And as you got to know Christ and you committed your life to him and you chose to follow him, there were some things that you had to choose not to do anymore. Some of those things you wanted to keep doing. And yet over time, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, you look back and all of a sudden what seemed like something that you would never stop doing now is something you don't even want to do. Your heart has changed. Your desires have changed. The Holy Spirit begins to actually do that so that what once seemed fun can start and ultimately seem useless or even demeaning. But our old friends 
may not understand that we've had a change of heart. They may not, they might not get it, which leads to a reason that Christians then can suffer. Peter says, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Peter shows us that that unchristian lifestyle then and, and often the way the world around us is today is centered on ourselves and what we want and what our desires are, are being pulled toward. There are all kinds of things, the lust of the eye and the, and the, the, the attractions of the, of the flesh around us that draw us in. And yet it is a very feeling-based and me-centered approach to life. Whereas the life centered on Jesus Christ is focused on the will of God and what he wants for us. The one who created us, who knows us best, who knows how this body works. He's the one who wrote the, 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 the owner's manual. He wrote it because he made us. He's saying, you can trust what I'm saying. Well, we, we don't, and, and that's the issue. If he is not the Lord of our lives, we don't trust him, and so we keep living in other ways. We keep making other choices. We get driven by our desires, and we don't experience the power of a life focused on Jesus Christ. The more we trust, we have faith, and that, and that is his intent. And as our trust is affirmed in experience, it becomes easier than to trust him more. Even if there's a price to pay, including abuse, including people disowning us, including people stop talking to us, including people turning their back to us or just ignoring us. Here again is that purifying effect because living by faith leads to more faith. I mean, it's kind of an interesting paradox that we only experience the power of faith as we live it. And the more we live it, the more powerful faith becomes and the more the Holy Spirit works through it to transform us. It's this, it's this journey and we never, we never take a small step and suddenly we arrive and, and, and we experience and we are all that we would hope. It is a journey along the way of successive steps that each increasingly affirm that we're going the right way, that we're on the right path as we consciously and willfully, often in spite of our feelings, in spite of our desires, take the next step, the step of faith in following Jesus. That's countercultural. That is something other people are uncomfortable with. Maybe you're uncomfortable with. He says, give, or he says, love, or he says, don't do this. But everybody else is, or I want it so bad, it must be good. What ultimately is our standard for good? What I want, what I feel, or the one who created me? God the Father. That's a really important distinction. And if we're not comfortable with that, then when we do face difficult times, we're not going to be very brave. And we're not going we're gonna to give in to fear of what someone thinks or what they're doing or what I want. 
and we will discover that Jesus is not Lord. But as we know, uh, get to know God and we discern something about the old lifestyle, we also realize that there is a price. Whether I see it now or not, in, in, in giving into those ways, maybe in this life, but certainly in the life to come. Peter says they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, God is going to hold you and me accountable for the choices we, we have made of where we did what we wanted to do, what we thought was right, what everybody else was doing, of where we did not stand up for Christ, where we went along with the crowd, especially if we have not repented of those choices and behaviors. That makes our sharing this good news with others so important. He says, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Even those who have heard the good news and turned to Christ and have since died are not going to be left out of what God is, is planning. He's eternal salvation. But we have to, we have to follow. There's more in, in the next few verses. I'm going to skip verses 7 to 11. We'll kind of come back to them next week. They're very important. But I want to, I want to jump up to, to verse 12, where Peter kind of pulls all this together, of what he's been saying throughout this letter and, and talking to his, his, his readers and talking to us. And he, and he says it like a loving a, a friend, a good personal friend, like a loving father, as he affirms for them that suffering for our faith is, in fact, part of the Christian journey. He says, verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, this is really important because when something happens to us, it's not unusual for any of us to say, well, why me? Why me, God? Why did this happen to happen to me? Why did you let this happen, God? I've been trying to do right. I've been trying to do some good things. And if God wants me to come to faith, Surely he ought to clear out all those things. If it's such good news, then when people look at me like I'm strange, like I've lost it, when I start getting left out of a group and some of the things they do, it may be that I haven't truly realized the cost I have to pay for following Jesus. Listen. Faith is free, but it costs everything. It costs our lives. We, we, none of us can earn it. It's a gift, but it's a gift that should radically transform the rest of our living. So if, if God wants us to come to faith, and it's such good news, we've got to realize that there is a cost. And so Peter wants his readers to understand that in fact, this isn't strange, he says. That some suffering is typical and normal for the follower of Jesus Christ. Now listen to that again, because that may, go, that may stick in your craw, that may not be what you want to hear today. But some suffering is typical and normal for the follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are not experiencing that, if you never experienced that, you may need to step back and ask yourself, is Jesus really Lord of my life? 
Jesus said, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. We're in the same boat with Jesus. And, and, and Peter isn't belittling the effect of suffering. He's not saying you, you should be glad, uh, rejoice because it feels good or something like that. But he wants his readers and he wants us to understand that if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to his followers. He, he doesn't want us to turn inward or become defensive or hurt by it. Like this is some great surprise. He says rejoice, in fact, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is why the disciples, as I read earlier in Acts chapter 5, could rejoice. It's not that they, 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 they did or we should literally, physically enjoy suffering. Like, no, no. But when we are suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ, we are taking on the life of Christ, becoming more like him. And these early disciples came to see that suffering for the cause of Christ was not a, a why me moment. Like, God, why do I have to suffer for you? Why should it cost me something? Why do my friends, some of them, have turned their back on me or they don't talk to me anymore? Or why does my boss look at me like I'm nuts and he's trying to get me fired? Peter says that it should be an affirmation that we are truly living and becoming more and more like Christ. We are doing his will and Therefore, experiencing what he experienced. And the journey of the Christian faith is to become more and more like Jesus, to become fully devoted followers of Christ. You cannot become more and more like Jesus and dismiss suffering out of your life for the cause of Christ. We should not forget that of the original 11 disciples, not counting Judas who killed himself, but of the 11 who were alive on the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead, as best we know, 10 of the 11 were martyred for their faith. They died for the cause of Christ. They were put to death in horrible, horrific ways. Peter has seen the glory of the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration and and also at the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and it's been so amazing to him to see purity and holiness, to see light and, and, and perfection in a way that none of us have ever experienced here on earth. To have seen that in that moment is so both humbling and awe-inspiring. And so he knew what he was talking about when he told his readers that they would experience real joy when he returns with all the armies of heaven backing Jesus and, and the full power of God on display, the power that created the universe, that created the farthest galaxy that, that the Hubble telescope can see, the glory of all that, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of all of this will be visible to you and me when Jesus returns Paul said, if we share Christ's suffering, we will also share his glory. And that's it's an amazing thought that, that Christ followers will share in the glory of Christ. But that puts suffering for Christ in perspective, Peter says. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. 
For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. In other words, if you're suffering because you did something wrong, if you're suffering, it's not that all suffering is redemptive, but it is suffering for the cause of Christ. If you, if you cheated or you hurt somebody and you're suffering for that, that's not what he's talking about. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter says that Christ's followers suffer, including the loss of social standing. That's something that we can actually bear proudly. Because in, in standing up for Christ, we more and more resemble him, even as it causes suffering. Peter says it's actually a good thing that we're actually moving in the right direction as a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will, be, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, quoting Proverbs 11, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The Bible all, all throughout talks about a time of judgment is coming, and the first to be judged are those who have committed their lives to Christ. Why? So that we can immediately experience the joy in receiving our salvation, the reward for faith in Christ, that we won't have to wait any longer for it. We won't want, be wondering about the outcome. But those judged next will not fare as well. Jesus even said, some of you say, Lord, Lord, but don't really mean it. I'm going to say, I don't even know you. That's a, that's a frightening thought. And the persecution that Christians experience now, the peer pressure, the getting left out of, of people thinking you're strange, is really the beginning of that judgment as it purges and purifies God's people in order to prepare us for his final, the full row of revelation of God's salvation and eternity. Listen, our suffering purifies us from sin and prepares us for eternity. Now that is a totally different way to think about suffering. It's not a way most of us just naturally gravitate toward. It's not a way I've certainly gravitated in much of my life. But Paul wrote, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So suffering is the price we pay today for faithfulness in following Jesus. But as Peter quoted from Proverbs, if, if this price is disciplining and purifying us, the suffering we experience now, if, if that's the worst it's going to get, in terms of judgment for us, imagine, he says, how much worse it's going to be for those who have not turned to God through Jesus Christ, who do not experience that kind of suffering in this life, who go along to get along, who do what everybody else is doing, who give in to the, to the do-it-my-way kind of things of this life. So he concludes then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good makes it that much more important and invaluable for his readers then and for all Christ followers today. 
for us to submit to Christ regardless of what we experience in this world around us of doing right, doing good. That is what we are called, that's how we're called to live as we seek to love God and love our neighbors even if they don't get it, even if, if they dismiss it. Following Christ is not about adopting, though, a martyr mentality. This is really important. This poor, pitiful me. Look at me. I'm a Christian, and I'm having to go through all this stuff. Peter says, instead, it needs to be that we are actively and joyfully seeking to do good in this world. Because that is a witness to point people to Christ, to allow our lives to be a witness of his power and grace. Guys, faithfulness, not suffering, this is really important, faithfulness, not suffering, is the point of walking the talk. Yet, suffering is a byproduct of that walk, and yet it serves a purpose, believe it or not. It serves a purpose of refining us and refining our faith so that faith builds faith. We grow more. We become more and more like Jesus as we live as he did, as we follow through in a way that maybe we've never thought for, thought of before. Suffering for Christ is, in fact, listen, good news. Because it means we are living by faith. It means he is Lord. It means that we trust him. It means that we are being transformed by his spirit more and more into his likeness. And so we can rejoice that in walking the talk, God has counted us worthy to suffer disgrace for the cause of Christ. So ask yourself, ask yourself this. Have I made Jesus Lord of my life? Not just Savior. We, we use that language sometimes almost interchangeably. But if I made him Lord, is he boss? Is he in charge? Is he leading? Am I obeying? Am I reading his word and discerning what he wants me to do, even if it costs me? And second, then, Am I prepared to explain the hope I have found in Jesus Christ and yet do it with gentleness and respect to love even those who do not understand? That's part of what it means to walk the talk. Is it easy? No. No way. It's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because in our own strength, most of us, a lot of the time, will give in to the culture. We'll give in to what everybody else is doing. We'll give in because we don't want to disappoint someone. We don't want them making fun of us. We don't want them talking about us. We want to be a part of their inner circle. But when we join their inner circle, we step out of God's circle. His call is as radical as it is, is not only that he be Savior, but also Lord. And yet he promises to make us brave, to enable us to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine if we will trust him. Because faith builds faith. Trust 
grows trust. Walk the talk, and the talk becomes part of our walk. Our prayer team will be down here. If you want to talk to somebody, if you need them to pray with you about a challenge in your life right now of being faithful to Christ, if there are struggles going on, if you need Christ to be, come, Savior and Lord. They would love to talk with you about that. Because we have an eternal promise and a joy that the world can neither give nor take. But we got to live it. And the good news is, with Christ, you really can. Gracious Father, thank you so much for pointing us to the impossible. And Father, just help us to get it in our heads that suffering for the cause of Christ may be painful, may be hard, but it is in fact something good. Father, we gotta, we got to wrap our minds around a totally different way of thinking because most of our world, most of our life experiences have probably taught us to avoid suffering at all costs. And yet you are telling us that in doing that, we have in fact missed out on the journey with you. We've missed a part of it, maybe the most important part for some of us. Father, help us to turn our thoughts around, to allow your spirit to work in us, not to suffer because we like suffering, but suffer because we want to stand for the cause of Christ. Help us to do that, Father. We pray, we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. God bless you. Go in his strength. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.